This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. to No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We are back to recap the Titans roster cutdown. As we sit here today, they have just 53 players on the active roster so let's get into the roster cuts, guys. Let's not bury the lead. Let's start with this Des Fitzpatrick conversation. Your thoughts, your immediate reaction to Des Fitzpatrick, fourth-round draft pick who the Titans traded up for, giving up three draft picks to the Carolina Panthers, doesn't even make it out of his first training camp. Yeah, I, I can't even really say that I'm surprised just because all of the reports out of camp were that he was very behind. He didn't look good on uh, pretty much every receiver that was on the roster, except for maybe Fred Brown uh, was playing better than him. And, and they just looked like better receivers. Um, and we, we didn't think it would happen. At least I just didn't expect him to get waived just because he was a fourth round pick. And we've talked about in the past, uh, like we don't like giving up on fourth round picks uh, this early into their careers but he really just hadn't shown anything. Uh, and it's possible there's some behind-the-scenes stuff also uh, that led to this. And also the Titans have a lot of depth at receiver. All of the receivers that were playing for roster spots, they were fantastic in the preseason. Cam Batson was great. Even Mason Kinsey, who also got waived, he was fantastic. It, it, it made a legitimate um, competition uh, for one of those spots. Uh, Marcus Johnson apparently was killing it at practice all all training camp and, and through the preseason. So there was a lot of competition. Uh, and, and the fact that, that John Robinson just cut the ties this quickly means that him and the coaching staff just clearly didn't like what they were seeing. And, I mean, it's possible he clears waivers, honestly, because he just didn't put any decent tape really out there. I mean, he caught a touchdown uh, in the preseason, but it really wasn't. It was a layup. There, there was really nothing to it, uh, and all the reports, like we, like I just said, at a camp from practice, uh, not glowing at all. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's back on the practice squad, and if he's not, I really don't think they're. I just don't know if they're they're really missing out on anything because he really wasn't that highly regarded as a prospect anyway. Yeah, quickly before Will jumps in, I, I think with the whole waiver claim thing, one argument that that makes sense is, well, some team that had him ranked highly on their board may claim him even though he struggled. But, like, a lot of people thought the Titans overdrafted him, so I don't know that that team is out there who had him highly ranked necessarily. But, but Will, take it away. Yeah, I mean – I, I wrote something about this because we talked about it earlier in the day, and I don't know. Like it to me, it's not that big of a deal. People are kind of losing their mind because uh, the tr- like. I think I think if the Titans had stayed where they were and picked him, people wouldn't care. 
but for some reason people are fake mad about giving up like a seventh round pick and like a fifth round pick, like, or whatever it was to move up to get him. I I don't know. Like it doesn't bother me. And it also, you kind of have to remember the context of when they drafted him. So when they drafted him, they didn't have Julio Jones. First of all, they didn't have Chester Rogers who has been dynamic and he clearly has a spot on special teams. They didn't have Marcus Johnson, who, I mean, theoretically is a receiver in the NFL. Like I, I, I've not been at practice, so I haven't seen all these amazing catches people talk about, but I I mean, you and Buck and everybody has talked about how he routinely made catches. Although we haven't really heard that for like two or two and a half weeks now. So well, Johnson's been hurt. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, which, you know, okay. Like, but they like him and they, you know, Colts fans are like, if he, if the Titans cut him, you know, they would love to have him back. So, I mean, obviously that he did enough there to where I mean, fans wanted him and all that. Marcus but Johnson it, is clearly better than Des Fitzpatrick. Yeah. Again, allegedly I, I've not seen him catch a pass or maybe one pass in the preseason. Like, so yeah, like, I mean, you know, I, I saw, I'm not, I'm not, this is not an argument just in like, who's better. Like, I do think there have been more positive reports from Johnson than, you know, Fitz, but I, I don't think it's been anything like, I mean, there's nothing tangible I have to say like, okay, look at this and look at this. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're trusting that he has chemistry with uh, Tannehill and that that's, that that's going to work and whatever, like that's cool. And basically what it comes down to is he entered as Josh Reynolds was wide receiver three or wide receiver two he was like the Tajay Sharp doesn't do anything on special teams, but is a solid receiver that can fill out your lineup. And then Julio came in, he got bumped down to wide receiver four. Chester Rogers came in and he has more special teams value. So he got bumped down to wide receiver five. Marcus Johnson had a a great great preseason in camp. He got bumped down to wide receiver six. For some reason, they like Nick Westbrook, Akina. I, I don't, I, again, I don't. I don't have any, you know, interest in him. I, I really, think Nick but, Westbrook Akeen is a, a a better football player than Des Fitzpatrick is. Yeah, and, and that may be true. And, and as a football player, he definitely might be just because of what he can do on special teams and stuff. Like that's that's fine. And then Cam Batson. I mean, Cam Batson had a really, really, really good preseason. Like, say what you want, but he the did. touchdown catch he had and. He was, con- you know, he's a guy that Vrabel's always going to fall in love with 10 times out of 10, like an undersized guy who, you know, isn't afraid to try to drag guys in a preseason game who isn't too good for any of that stuff is won the offseason awards in the past for like working hard. Like, I mean, he's just a guy that Vrabel's going to love. So it was always going to be an uphill battle to beat him if you didn't have any special teams work. And now all of a sudden, because he doesn't play special teams, it- it's basically a fourth round pick out the door. But I think if they don't have Julio, I think that he makes the team like just because I think they need another actual wide receiver to play on offense and not a special teams guy. But you know, like I, I don't think there's any big, you know, issue with cutting a fourth round pick this year instead of next year, because you know, like fourth round picks, if they make it to two years, great. But there's just there's not a lot of value in you know having a guy on the roster who's taking up a roster spot who 
you don't think is going to be better than anybody you have under contract for next year. And the only wide receiver they don't have under contract for next year is Reynolds, I believe. May, I mean, maybe Batson, but he, you know, he comes with it and all that. But that that's kind of where I stand on it. Like it, like it sucks to miss on a fourth round pick, but the fact that they traded up, I think, is being way overrated. And they also got Rashad Weaver in the fourth round. So you know, at the end of the day, like the draft class as a whole is not a bust and it's not like they gave up every pick they had to go get him in the fourth. Like they still got value there. So I don't know. It just doesn't bother me that much. It, it does bother me. And I, I think one of the arguments that you're making will is the wrong argument. And I'm going to explain why in just one second, but first will, I believe you have some exciting news to tell us from our friends at Manscape. I do. Uh, So, you know, talking about our friends at Manscaped, uh, they've come out with their fourth generation lawnmower 4.0. It's the fourth generation trimmer, which features cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce accidents. No, is is this like to cut the grass outside? Oh, sorry. Maybe I should clarify. Uh, This is metaphorically. You could call it that if you were in mixed company and you didn't want to say anything. But uh, this is a personal body trimmer. So, uh Again, the skin safe technology is just so you don't get any nicks and cuts in any place you don't want to. So it's got a, uh, and and I've I've read this before, and it's always pretty tough to say. It's got seven thousand RPMs in that motor, so you want to be real careful. But they do have it as safe as it could possibly be. Now, don't worry, it's waterproof and it's got a travel lock, so you don't have to worry about it cutting through all your clothes if you're traveling. You don't have to worry about it exploding if you're you know if you're using it. Let's say. I don't know, right after you shave or if you're using it in the shower, whatever you want to do with it. So, you know, that that's all safe and fine. Um, they also have the Weed Whacker, which is a personal favorite of Matias's. He, he loves that name. Uh, again, <laughs> waterproof. Now, this one is a little bit scarier. 9,000 RPMs, still totally safe, still with the advanced skin safe technology. Uh so yeah, don't you know? Don't worry about nicks, snags, or tugs. Uh, you you should be fine. You're one of two million men, over two million men at this point, uh, who trust Manscaped. For twenty percent off and free shipping, you can use the code Fansided twenty. Now that's that's a personal favor from me to you. So you're welcome. From, uh, so from, go ahead from us to you. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I should I should include you too. Yeah, it's it's from all of us here. And where and, where can we know, go to purchase these products? I'm glad you asked. You can go to manscaped.com. So here's why I have a problem with with Des Fitzpatrick situation. I don't think it is ever a good thing to waste a draft pick. And, and when I say, Will, that I think you're making the wrong argument, here's what I mean. You said, you know, I don't mind cutting the guy this year as opposed to next year. Because that is an argument I've seen out there. It's like, well... The, the problem is that you know, he, he was he's out this year and a lot of times fourth-round guys at least make it to their second year. Like My preference would just be draft a good football player or, or don't give up three draft picks to get a bad football player. Well, you, you, you say, what do you mean that people are overblowing that they traded up? You don't think that's a big deal? No, I mean, I don't I know because – You've got to think in a vacuum that those picks are valuable. Like, like at, theoretically, those are all players who could make your team. 
However, in reality, it, what, what spots are the you know what what are the Titans lacking when they give up that fit? You know who was there that when and you we can go back and look if we want to, but you know there's not there's probably not a guy who's going to make an impact who's a fifth, sixth, seventh at that point. And if there is, who knows if they would have drafted him because I believe that we've seen in the past that what they really like to do with their day three picks is find people who can be backups, who might be able to play special teams in year one and then can try to compete for like true backup, like active every game type roles like Dane Crookshank. Like that's the type of player you're going to get more than, you know, a Jay on Brown. So, you know. Here's what I think, because you, you, you posed the question, who else are you going to get? I don't know. It, that With that fifth-round draft pick that they gave up to go get Des Fitzpatrick, maybe they find someone to play defensive line so that Anthony Rush doesn't make the roster. Maybe they find an actual interior offensive lineman so that Dylan Radins isn't having to play guard and so that David Quesenberry and... Kendall Lamb and Ty Sambrilo aren't having to masquerade as backup guards. Maybe they find an IOL with that fifth-round pick who can be a depth piece along with Aaron Brewer so that none of that jumbling has to happen. I think there's a lot of things you can look at to say, well, if they had had that extra pick, they could have at least tried to find something else. And instead, not only did they not get that other thing, not only did they not get that depth piece, they totally blew it on a player who's not any good. And, and to this argument, Will, I haven't heard you say this, but I've heard a lot of people say this. It's like, well, they're going to bring him back on a practice squad, and he's going to have a year to work, and, and, and man, just he, he's going to get it turned around. You know who doesn't think that's going to happen? The Titans. Because if they thought that that was going to happen, they either A, would have at least let him stick around until the nine COVID list players came back, but instead, they just kind of said, nah, if someone claims him, they claim him. Oh, well. That doesn't, that, that, that's not someone who, who's looking at a player and saying, you know, they stink right now, but, but there's something there we can work with. That's a team that's saying, look, we're going to cut our losses. Maybe he sticks around on the practice squad, but if he doesn't, so be it. Yeah, yeah, you have to be pretty bad in practice and in preseason games for a team that drafted you, traded up in the fourth round uh, to get you to just say, we don't think you're worth possibly losing you to another team, not even having played any regular season games in in your career. Like, that's a pretty damning indictment, I think. Um, And, I mean, I'm I'm on Luke's side on this. I, I, I do think it's a pretty big deal that, their fourth round pick that they traded up for. Uh, they gave up a fifth, fifth round pick for, uh, and it was an early fourth round pick uh, that they spent on him. It was like the fourth pick of the fourth round, I think. Um, I don't know. Like it, it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Uh, and especially because I like, I was obviously this is hindsight, although I had said it at the time, I was a huge Terrace Marshall fan. Uh, I thought he was almost a borderline first round talent. Uh, and he was there at the Titans' second-round pick at, at 43, 53, uh, and they ended up going with Ray Dunce, who, you know, I'm not going to say is going to be good or is going to be bad, uh, but I thought Marshall made a lot more sense at that pick, and they could have pretty much solved their their wide receiver two um, problem 
Granted, they ended up getting Julio Jones, and, and maybe they thought they knew that they were going to get Julio Jones. But I just thought that taking Marshall there in the second round and not pushing wide receiver down uh, and then having to trade up for a Des Fitzpatrick, who's not even close to as talented as a Terrace Marshall um, and didn't really have the production profile or athletic profile that that pretty much most fourth round picks, at least receivers, usually have. So I don't know. It, it just felt like a like a way, kind of a waste of of um, of assets, and especially after the I hate to bring his name up, but after the Isaiah Wilson uh, debacle, just having two of those picks, which are very valuable, just completely go to waste in two consecutive off seasons. It's just it, it's a bad look. Like I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say John Robinson is awful at drafting. It's just not true. He's been above average at drafting, I would say, throughout his tenure. Uh, but these two situations in two consecutive off-seasons definitely is a little bit alarming. And I'll say quickly, it stings a little extra because of how little you got out of the 2019, excuse me, the 2020 draft class. Yeah, we don't have to talk about Isaiah Wilson, and, and I think Christian Fulton's going to be a good player. But Darrington Evans has given you nothing. And look, I was all on board with him all off-season, but... It's not looking like he's going to be able to give much of anything if, because he's always hurt. And they, they got nothing out of that draft class. And so now you come into another draft class, and before the season even starts, one of your early day three picks is already done for, already already a cast off, while your second-round draft pick is in fourth place in the starting right tackle competition. And Caleb Barley, who I think is going to be a good player, is not going to be ready to contribute a whole lot in week one, which is okay. But it's not like, other than Elijah Molden, this is a super exciting class to follow up a class in 2020 that was a complete disaster. Yeah, I mean, I disagree with that. Uh, so, you know, you go back to the 2020 <laughs> class, like, y'all y'all said a lot, so I have to correct as we go. So, the 2020 class, you got Christian Fulton, uh, Darrington Evans, like you talked about, he's on the pup list, so I think they were just being careful with him. Well, no, like, you you can't put someone on the pup list if they didn't start camp on the pup list. Oh, is that true? Yes. Oh, well, that that I didn't know. Uh, but so I guess but we'll they, they could have put him on. They IR. could put him on IR. Yeah. Yeah, but but I mean, like, the, let's we'll see if they put him on short term IR. I I don't know how that whole thing will go. Uh, Laurel Murchison looked good before they pulled him out. Like, I mean, he's probably the fourth defensive lineman in this group, and he looked better this year in preseason than he did at any point last year. They also got Chris Jackson in the seventh round last year, who was bad at outside corner, but was also thrown into a terrible situation, and everybody looked bad at outside corner last year. So that's not super fair. He was, you know, you want to talk about Marcus Jack or Johnson making – plays in, pre- in preseason. He looked good, too, allegedly, whatever. They also got Tier Tart, who was an undrafted free agent, but who is going to start this year and who looks better than, you know, I would say most day three picks for any team looked. So you have that. This year, we talked about, you know, we talked about Raiden's. Uh, Caleb Farley, like, I think he'll be good. I think he'll be good this year. I think he's just getting back into shape. Monty Rice looks better than... Uh, Rashawn Evans, which isn't a fair thing to say because that's a low bar, but I, I think he looks a lot better than he was advertised coming out of Georgia. Elijah Molden looks good. Rashad Weaver looks good. Like, I mean, Weaver looks fun. 
uh, then we talk about Racy McMath. Like if he wasn't on COVID, I firmly believe because he was making teams on spe- or making plays on special teams. I don't know that Racy's on the in. team without COVID. I really he, don't. Well, he may not be, but what I'm saying is like it, if he ends up ever making the team, even if he goes to practice squad for a year, I think he has a lot of tools, and I think he did good enough stuff on. Well, uh, on special teams. Look, but, if the if the argument you're making is John Robinson's a good drafter, I'm with you. This is this is Des Fitzpatrick thing. It's an indictment, but it's not a John Robinson stinks. But I think you have to look at this isolated incident as he as an abject failure. You can't yeah. look at this and say, "Well, it's not that big of a deal because look over here, pay no mind to to you know the man behind the curtain." Like, sure, okay, but de- picking Des Fitzpatrick and trading up to get him is a failure. There's no way around it. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's it, first of all, uh, what I was trying to reference is the fact that you're like, it stings more because you're not getting that a lot out of the 2020 class. Like, I don't think that's true. I think not. He- they, Chris Jackson and Christian Fulton, we think, will be good contributors. That's one position. Uh-huh. And then Tier Tart and Murchison will probably Tier be Tart two of the top. Tier Tart wasn't even a draft pick. What? And Murchison was a healthy scratch as a rookie. Like he's the fourth defensive lineman. Right, but that, I mean, he was a fifth. I, I, I guess I. I guess it all depends on your. It, let me and let me finish my sentence before you jump in because I know what you're going <laughs> to say. It all depends on your expectation for what you're going to get out of day three, and your response is going to be, "I expect them to make the team," which is fine. That. That part of it Correct. is a took failure. the words right out of but, my mouth. Yeah, but I think you have to. I mean, I, I think, and and I'll get into this in a second. I'll bookmark this, but like, for what you get out of a class on day three, if they come away with Rashad Weaver and Racy McMath both making the team, which McMath may not, but if they both make the team that's four or two out of the four picks you had on day three. That's a good hit rate. Even if, even if McMath is only a, you know, second team, third team, whatever special teams guy, like now individually is Des Fitzpatrick a bad pick? Yeah. We said that at the time, I mean, we, like we weren't hey, banging the tape uh, for him. All and of, we weren't, all of this comes back to the fact that Des was the first, person to break the Matthias Wadner rule, right? Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. Is they I was like, they ruined so it out all. Of character. Yeah, it was so <laughs> out of character. We talked about this earlier that like somebody must have pounded the table for him because it, it's it's a very uncharacteristic move for the Titans to make. Like it it's it's just weird. It doesn't make any sense, but like we we didn't love the pick when it happened. But yeah. you know, like you you miss on some picks, but like it, it, I think the term abject failure to describe a fourth round pick is sort of like I mean you could say like it was a colossal mistake to draft him in the fourth round. It's like that's it's all over exaggerated. Well, it's, uh, it's the same thing. Like it, it saying saying a failure like a monumental failure. It, it was a pick that didn't work out. Like sometimes you get that you know like fourth round picks yeah. are not t like so I I guess it all is in the phrasing of it like. I think this will still be a good draft class with probably four starters, maybe five when it's all said and done. And that's anytime you get more than three, that's a good class. So I I don't know. It's, it's always weird to look at one specific part of a draft class and say that part's a failure. Like 
was the 2016 draft class a failure because Kevin Dodd was in the second round? Or do we look at Kevin Byard, Jack Conklin, and Derrick Henry and say, oh, you know, it, maybe it wasn't so much of a failure as they knew where the draft was going to fall and they took their swing. Well, that's about, so, I'm not calling this draft class a failure. You can't look at Kevin. You, last thing from me on this. You can't look at, in, in the same way that you can't look at Des Fitzpatrick and be like, but look at all these other things. You can't look at Kevin Dodd and be like, but Kevin Byard and Derrick Henry and Jack Conklin, three all pros. Good. Great. Kevin Dodd's still a, a terrible draft pick. Yeah, like, if is the question, like, is Des Fitzpatrick good? Because, like, no, Des Fitzpatrick isn't good. Like, but, like, that that feels like it's not the conversation we're net, like, it feels like we're arguing whether this is an organizational failure. Like, I, I just, yeah. I think people, like, I, I think Des Fitzpatrick was not a good pick. I think we thought that at the time. You know, I would rather move on than force him to stay on the roster so you double down on a mistake, but... I, and I guess the question is, how much do you kill a general manager for that when he also traded a second-round pick for a Hall of Famer in the same year? I yeah. think it's tricky. Matias, would you like the last word on this? I I just don't really know like what exactly we're, what we're getting at. I, I don't know what exactly the like overarching um, endpoint of the discussion would be like if John Robinson is bad at drafting like I, I don't think that's the case um and sure he's had bad picks in in a couple of the drafts a few of the drafts actually but i mean how many other gms haven't you know like drafting is yeah. such a it's such a crapshoot and you have no idea how these players are going to respond at the next level or in the case of darrington evans like they can't stay healthy but when he's healthy he looks like a third round talent possibly second round talent. Uh, and that's exactly where they drafted him in the third round, but he can't stay healthy. So there are just so many variables that go into draft classes and draft picks actually panning out um, that I, I, I just don't know exactly how to place all the blame on, on the general manager. Um, but I mean, yeah, it sucks. It well, sucks though. The, for but there wasn't a variable pick. here. He just stunk. Yeah, that's true. That's true. This one, I, I will say, I, I we said it at the time. We just did. We didn't like the pick. So yeah, this one's squarely on on John Robinson, especially because uh, they traded up, and I think they panicked. Honestly, I think they panicked, which because they needed a receiver. They needed a receiver because they didn't have Julio Jones, and there was like a clear, there was like a clear um, need at receiver. Uh, and then if you go back to look at the draft class, like Diami Brown went in the third round, three picks before the Titans were going to pick, and he fit my rule, which is, you know, foolproof for sure. <laughs> but he was actually like <laughs> a very talented player, had a couple of 1,000-yard seasons under his belt, and he was he was probably going to be the pick at 85 if he was there. I really don't doubt that at all because, I mean, the Titans traded down after that, so he was probably one of the targets there. Um, and then if you look down and past Des Fitzpatrick at some of these receivers, it's bad, man. Like, so I, I think they, they definitely panicked and just wanted to get someone who might've been safer, I guess, because he had a little bit of production, uh, in an ACC school at Louisville. He wasn't terrible, but, but he wasn't dominant, uh, in any way. So I think they, they definitely, you know, 
reached uh, uh, for him in that draft. We should talk some, I would think, about some of the other roster cuts, some of the other decisions that got made. Let's start with this, the the COVID situation. As we record this on Tuesday, they have nine players on the COVID list. That could change as soon as Wednesday, when a lot of you will be listening to this podcast. Some of these situations may have changed. But as of right now, let's go through the COVID list, player by player, and you guys tell me, are they going to, or is this a player even worth discussing? Because there are some players on the COVID list that are locks to make the team. Like we'll just take Ryan Tannehill, Harold Landry, Ben Jones, and Nate Davis off that list. That's four. And then the other five, it's sort of up in the air. Jeff Swain, what do we think? He on, right? He's on, right? He, yeah, yeah, I think he so. on. Yeah, he on. So Jeremy McNichols, is it him or Sargent? That that one that one could go either way, but I I think they like McNichols a lot. I do so. too. I think yeah. it's McNichols. But they did also like bring him up last year from the practice squad, right? Like they like they like That's him, true. but not enough where they're like, there's no we shouldn't subject him to waivers because there's no chance he'll resign. Like, yeah. But but I do think you're right. Like, I I think it's more of like a momentum thing. It's like whoever's on the roster, whether it's him or. Uh, Sergeant, it would have stayed there. So I think if Sergeant would have gotten COVID or whatever, it would have been the other way around. So, I mean, I, I think they'll just try to cut him and put him on practice squad. But, you know, they're both the same guy. Racy McMath, I think it's probably him or Batson slash NWI, and I think it's going to be one of those two guys. Unless, because Batson, everyone keeps saying Batson's a special teams guy. Batson is a returner, and he's not a good one. So I could see them potentially opting for another gunner as opposed to a returner who's not going to return because they have Chester Rogers. Hmm. I, 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 like, I, don't, I don't think McMath makes a team. I don't either. I, ten, I could just see that logic making sense. Tinfoily, I still think <laughs> that Arthur Smith and the Titans get some deal for one of these bottom receivers. Like I, I still think that happens. I mean, it, it may not, but I think that this is the perfect storm for, okay, Atlanta, look and see if you like anybody out there more than you like what Nick Westbrook-Akina can do or what Cam Batson can give you as like a gadget guy. If you're good, cool, we'll cut the one we like the least and we'll hope he makes it the practice squad or we'll cut McMath and try to get him on practice squad or whatever. But I, I, I just think it would be so easy to trade one of those guys for a late pick and then – bring uh, McMath back up to be a special teams guy. I just think, and, and this is also why I don't think Des, Des Fitzpatrick will get claimed necessarily, is there's a lot of guys out there. I saw a report about this this morning from uh, someone, one of the PFs, either Pro Football Talk or Pro Football Focus, was saying that there are so many receivers out there because that's just a strong position in the league right now. I don't see guys giving up draft picks for someone like Cam Batson when they can just go to the waiver wire right now for free and find someone who's probably just as good, even Arthur Smith having that pre-existing relationship. But we'll we'll move on to the next player on the list, Nick DeZubnar, linebacker. No, the linebacker court is is set. Yeah, I mean, I'm like – I'm out on him. Like, I, I don't think he was particularly good when he played last year. Like, and I mean, I'm I'm not, 
you know, hyping up Will Compton stuff. Like, but we all said last year, Will Compton was a much better version of that last year. Like, I, I don't think he gives you anything. I think you're fine with Jayon Brown, Rashawn Evans, Monty Rice, and David Long at that spot. And then finally, Justin March Lillard. He's out, right? Yes. Great name, but there's no room. <laughs> but so realistically, yeah. as we look at this 53, because that's one thing a lot of people said is it's like, well, we won't really learn the 53 today, but like, okay, the four starters, the four people we know, Ben Jones, Harold Landry, Ryan Tannehill, Nate Davis, that's four players are going to change. Maybe it probably a fifth with Jeff Swaim, and that's probably going to be it. And so as we look at this 53-man roster, I think uh, one of the quarterbacks will come off for Tannehill, probably Matt Barkley, no. Yeah, yeah, probably. So. He he had his chance. Woodside outplayed him on uh, on Saturday. I thought that was Woodside's best yeah. game as a Titan. He looked really strong at times in that game. Oh, I think they both sucked, but uh, I, that's they, fine. They, they well, did, well, but I think Woodside yeah, was sucked. the better of, yeah. the, of the suck. Uh, Woodside yeah. had the better suck. Um, sure, I guess. <laughs> running running back, it, you know, Sergeant or McNichols. We talked about that. Tight end, you're probably going to gain one. Offensive line, Daniel Munyer stinks. He's gone the moment that Ben Jones gets cleared from COVID. Uh, but I think what we're finding is there's not a whole lot of puzzles to solve here. We kind of know who's coming off when these COVID guys are ready to go. The last thing to figure out is this defensive back situation because they've got 13 of them. Yeah. I don't think you need more than 11, probably. They've got six safeties. That's absurd. You really only need four. I had in my 53, Byard, Hooker, McDougald, and Farley. And so they've got those four plus Brady Breeze and Dane Crookshank. I don't think Brady Breeze is sticking around. I don't know why Dane Crookshank is here. And then Chris Jones makes the team as a seventh cornerback. Like someone of that three, Chris Jones, Brady Breeze, Dane Crookshank, is, uh, multiple of that three are probably out of here. Yeah, I think it's more I, I of a think, surprise that like that one of those is going to make it. Like more than anything, like that's the surprising yeah. part. Yeah. So we don't think Crookshank's making the team. Everyone is just writing him off completely because he, he's never available. He's just always and it's injured, not, and it's not like he's really done anything when he was available. I guess he's all right on special teams, but he's a good special team. I mean, I, th- I, I mean, just, here's my question: uh, Do you think? Not that Brady Breeze is going to get kept, but do you think that Brady Breeze would be any worse than Dane Crookshank? I do. I think Brady Breeze is pretty terrible. But I mean, based, based I, I don't on think what? That, I think. Yeah, that's my th- like. I like. I don't know anything about Brady Breeze. I think the which, that's the, that's the point I'm trying to make, which is take the unknown who has a little bit of upside versus the guy you know who just isn't. He's just kind of a guy, which is well, what and a Cushing guy you'd have is. to replace. I think next year, like I think that's the last. This yeah, is the last year of yeah. his contract. Like I'm fine letting him walk now, and then rolling the dice with Breeze or with uh, uh, what's it were with uh, McMath, like and giving them a roster spot because you've got him cost controlled for a while. I don't know. I guess I I just always thought Krupshank was was pretty good on special teams. Granted, I don't look at special teams like in he, depth. I, he is. I think he's a, a reliable yeah. special teams player. But 
I think Brady Breeze is probably also a reliable special teams player and maybe yeah. has a little more upside as a safety. Yeah, and Farley, I think, is like a proven special teamer who's probably better than Krupshank. And McDougald is definitely better in terms of like coverage. So I think they probably yeah. really like Matthias Farley. Yeah, because of his name, without a doubt. For yeah, sure. right. Which That's is what I was totally <laughs> not spelled the same way as yours. I embarrassingly kept calling him Matthias because of you uh, very recently. Uh, Bradley McDougald also. Uh, he was a guy who got to come in due to injuries to Brady Breeze and Dane Crookshank and Matthias, Ma- dang it, Matthias Farley. <laughs> <There we go. laughs> he got to come in because of injuries, and he took advantage of his opportunity, man. He went in and, and made plays in the preseason game. And it was to the point where I think it would have been a surprise if he didn't make it. So so kudos to that guy for making the most of his opportunity. Yeah, it, he's, a, he's a good player, and he has been for, for quite a while. So been with the Rams. definitely you need someone in a pinch. He's been but a Rams starter and, and Seahawks. I, see, I feel like I remember him with the Rams. I'm going to no, do a Google search. Bradley McDougald, Bucks, Seahawks, and Jets. So not the Rams. I, who am Are you I thinking? thinking McLeod? Of? Didn't they have somebody named like McLeod? McLeod. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Man, that might yeah. be who I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. That's racist against Irish people, but that's fine. Um, yeah, I like. <laughs> I I don't know how I feel about any of these depth safeties because there were so many injuries. Like to me, this is just let's get like another four days of practice to really decide which ones we like the most and then narrow it down to four because there's four, not right? really... they're keeping four. There's yeah. no way they're five. I, right? I don't yeah. think there's because... a point in keeping five unless you're really fired up Jackson, about one of them. I think Jackson can pull that double duty as like a slot slash Molden like too. also. Yeah. yeah, Molden too. I think Molden's just so good at co- a slot corner though. They don't want to mess Mol- with Molden. that. Like, not to get off on a tangent, although it could be worth it because he's good. Molden's just one of those guys. Just put him out there and see what happens, and it's going to be good things. I mean, I, I asked him the other day because, you know, we've seen Farley kind of second-guessing himself, and, and the technique isn't all there. And, and I asked Elijah, I was like, you just look comfortable. Like, you're flying around. You're not out there thinking and he said, "Yeah, I learned in college that you can't do that. You gotta, you gotta prepare during the week, and then when you get into the game, for better or worse, you gotta trust that preparation. Just go. I love that because I feel like the Titans have been plagued recently with this. And we've talked about this: this attitude of like wait and see and hope for the and, and you know slow. And and this guy just goes out there and you know." Puts on a helmet and goes for it. And I, I, I'm excited to watch that guy play this year and beyond. Yeah, I'll, I'm getting I'll, like Tyron Matthew vibe from him. Just he, he just looks like him. He also has like the same kind of body type. Cortland um, Finnegan too. Just, yeah, 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 but yeah. it's different. Like I was gonna say, like he gets comp to Cortland Finnegan a lot. Like it, like they it's don't the hair use him and the that, skin yeah. tone. It's like yeah, the same. like. Yeah, right. Well, that's it, what like, he said because Jim Wyatt asked him about that. And he's like, "Well, we do look alike." Yeah, I was going to say like I don't like Finnegan played boundary corner. They don't play the same position. Like that—that's a weird comp to me. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess because he's like feisty. But the reason why he's like why he's allowed to play so aggressive, like why he can play without thinking, 
is because against the Bucks, all they did was have them in man coverage and blitz, which I'm fine with. Like, whatever it takes for this coaching staff to blitz, whether that's having somebody they love <laughs> on the field like Molden, whatever. Like, I'm not criticizing that. He does it really well, and he's so smart going back to college that if he's blitzing somewhere and he sees that it's a pulling guard, he'll take on the pulling guard instead of trying to, like, make a hero play. You know, he's the guy who on fourth and one versus the Bucks was at the line of scrimmage blitzing, like making sure that they didn't get it when they went hurry up. Like he he's smart enough to do whatever, but he and Farley's jobs are 100% different. Like so it's that that's, that's something that I think is going to be unfair to Farley the whole time. And I loved like, this is not a, a pre-draft thing. I thought Molden was a first round guy. I loved watching him. I think his BYU tape is some of the most fun tape you can watch of anybody. His BYU from 2019, like that's such a fun game to watch where he almost just destroys Zach Wilson. It, it, like, except he's like a fingertip away twice and he makes a one handed interception in the end zone. Like it's awesome. Like he, he was one of, if not my favorite picks, but the problem is you've got a five foot nine or five foot ten aggressive blitzing slot corner who gets to do all the fun stuff, and then you have a six foot two like long, really fast corner who's got to do the dirty work stuff on the outside where he's locked up one on one in this man coverage while the other guy blitzes, and you, one of those guys is going to look good a lot, and the other one is going to have a lot of pass fail moments. So. I want everybody to remember that, but yeah, like you said, like he he's he is ele- he is so fun to watch. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. I, I'm getting really excited for Week One. Another reason why I think everyone should get excited for Week One is because Big Number Two is going to play. Julio Jones returned to practice on Monday. He practiced with the team, and you would think he's going to be ready to go for Week One when with Ryan Tannehill and AJ Brown. And this Titans offense that everyone has sort of salivated at, at getting the opportunity to watch, they're going to be out there against the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, really exciting for them to have Julio back. And, I mean, this offense, man, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, and we haven't been able to watch any of the starters uh, in preseason. We've kind of seen some camp, of them. Really? Yeah, that's true, because Julio was injured. Um, well, I haven't been at the practices, but um, was it, A.J. Brown was injured also, right? He had like a knee uh, a knee thing, so he was kind of taking it easy. So, yeah, we really haven't been able to see any of them really uh, si- since the end of last season. So I'm excited, man. I, I miss watching Derrick Henry play football, to be honest. Like, yeah. I love watching him just crush, just pick <laughs> up chunk gains. 5, 10, 15, 20 yards, and then in the fourth quarter, he just starts breaking off those big runs. Uh, and now we have Julio Jones, who we have always admired as a player, just amazing receiver uh, at Atlanta, and we've always liked watching him play. And now you pair him with A.J. Brown, Ryan Tannehill, who's at the peak of his career. This is going to be this is gonna be fun. And, and I hope Todd—I I have a good— feeling about Todd Downing. I, I have liked what I've seen so far in the preseason. Uh, he seems like a really smart guy, and I think um, he'll, he'll he'll do well in this role, and I'm definitely excited uh, about the direction of the offense. I think they could piggyback on what they've done the past couple of seasons. Yeah, what, what I've consistently said about Downing is he just needs to get out of the way. There's so much talent, 
And and I and I think he knows that. He in in one of his first press conferences that he did after getting the promotion, he said, you know, my job isn't to come in here and put the you know quote unquote Todd Downing stamp on this offense or insert my identity. And and he's right. He just needs to step back and let Derrick Henry run and let Ryan Tannehill throw to his playmakers. And, and I think they're set up to do that. And the defense isn't going to suck anymore either. They might not be great. But they're not going to be like they were in 2020. So, a lot of reasons to be excited. Yeah, like it, it's it's so hard because it sounds like I, I'm making excuses for the offensive line, which we didn't even get to see the offensive line. But it's so much different when you have guys like Derrick Henry out there because it changes. And we've talked about this for two years now. It changes the way the whole game works. And Darrington Evans can probably do that too if he's healthy. And then other starting caliber running backs in the league could do it. But just a running back who knows how to use this offensive line, like how to use this scheme to create cutback lanes. And, you know, it, it, it really is something that it changes the way defenses have to treat the entire offense. And even last year when we saw Corey Davis do it, like, I mean, Corey Davis and A.J. Brown were two of the most efficient wide receivers in the NFL. Like, regardless of how many times we threw, we've talked about it over and over. Like, they were fantastic whenever they were targeted. So now you have Julio instead of Corey Davis and, you know, an offensive line that's healthier than last year. Like, it's going to be really, really, really interesting to see, like you said, like how much Todd Downing just gets out of the way. But with what they've done this uh, with this preseason, as little of, as we've seen, it's still a lot of outside zone play action. Like I assume we'll get some harder boots and stuff. But I mean, we've seen plenty of like full boots, throw to the tight end over, like all that kind of stuff that really sets up all that deeper stuff by pulling everybody else in. So it looks positive from that standpoint. I do want to mention quickly. We'll certainly do a more in-depth preview of the Cardinals next week as we look ahead to that game. Uh, Malcolm Butler, not sure what's going on there. It's been reported widely that he's dealing with a personal issue. And today, Tuesday, he was placed on the reserve retired list. Um, certainly a favorite of mine to, to cover and watch. I think all three of us over the last few years, really feisty guy, loves football, loves his teammates, and a good player. Uh, so really hate to see that. Not sure what's going on, but uh, thoughts and prayers certainly will we'll, we'll be with him and hope all of that works out for the best. Yeah, it, it sucks. I, I don't know what's going on with him. Hopefully it's nothing too serious. Uh, he was a fantastic Tennessee Titan, both personality-wise and on the field. Um, and I hope he can overcome whatever is going on uh, in his personal life because I, I definitely think he still has – a lot left in the tank as he showed last season. Uh, and he's also a really awesome person. So I, I hope, I hope we can get back to seeing him on a football field sooner than later. And, you know, we, we form a lot of opinions quick on this show. I, I probably more than anybody else, but we were very down on him in year one. And to, I mean, he had every reason in the world to just pack it in and just say, you know, I've made enough money. I've got a Super Bowl ring or two. You know, I I've done what I needed to do. I'll ride off into the sunset. But that's not what he did. Like he came back and he was exceptional in 2019. And then in 2020, he was the only defensive back that seemed to understand how to play football. Like uh, he was 
he was um, the emotional leader of that defense as far as I'm concerned, him and Jeffrey Simmons, and he was clearly the most effective defensive back. So, I mean, it, it's really hard to see this. We all didn't like it when he was cut, and it's, I don't know, it's it's really unfortunate, and we hope everything's okay with him. And, you know, he he's one of the few players who uh, ha- I have ever – you know, completely done a 180 on my opinion on like from year one to year two. And I mean, he just, he seems like a good guy. Like and there weren't really any rumblings that I had heard or seen about anything like this until 24 hours ago. So, I mean, it, it sucks. Hopefully it's just, you know, a blip in the radar and, you know, wh- whatever he needs to get help with or whatever he needs in his personal life, they can get that taken care of and he can get back on the field because I mean, he deserves to have a better end of his career than for something like this to happen. Absolutely. One major national NFL story we need to get to before we dive into stop the nonsense. And that is the new England Patriots quarterback situation. The team released Cam Newton on Tuesday. He's a vested veteran, so he does not go to waivers. He is an unrestricted free agent at this point. Going with the rookie, Mac Jones, who they took in the middle of the first round out of Alabama. I think a lot of people, like, so So here was my position on this. It maybe surprised me that they released Cam Newton, although I, I understand the reasons why. I, I don't think it's hard to see why that that was the way they went. But in terms of Mac Jones being the guy, not shocked at all. Because all offseason... Every time Bill Belichick got asked about the quarterbacks, he was very adamant. Cam is our quarterback. Cam is our quarterback. Glad to have Jones on the team. We think he's got some nice traits, but Cam is our quarterback. And then after their third and final preseason game, he got asked, so will you name a starting quarterback for week one? And he didn't say Cam's our quarterback. He said that decision has not been made yet. Bill Belichick does not say much to the media. But he said a mouthful when that came out of his mouth. And I I don't know if you guys caught on to that, but when I saw that quote, I knew, like, this was Mac Jones. And he earned it. Mac Jones was incredible in the preseason, and stats don't matter. I don't care about that. But he was accurate. He was on time. He looked comfortable executing the offense. Clearly better than Cam Newton, who, look, not, not taking away anything from Cam Newton's career, in his prime, Cam Newton was an unstoppable force, one of the most incredible players I've ever seen play in person, just mesmerizing. But he's he's washed now. He's old. He just doesn't have it anymore. And and but but not by default by by virtue of his strong performance in camp at the preseason. Mac Jones was was clearly the better option, and 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 Bill Belichick is is always going to pick what's best for the team. Yeah, I. Couldn't say it any better myself. Cam is just, he's past it. He was really bad last year. Um, and the only reason he would have started this year is if Bill Belichick felt that Mac Jones uh, wasn't ready. And usually that's not the case. Uh, th- these talented rookie quarterbacks usually should just be playing from the start. Um, and respect to Bill Belichick for just putting him out there. Because, yeah, like you said, he looked totally in control of the offense in the preseason uh, and he just fits the the system much better. He's really accurate uh, on short to medium passes. He's just very comfortable uh, from the pocket. And, and the Patriots have a decent enough uh, O-line to, to have him feel comfortable in there and stand and deliver strikes uh, when needed. So, 
Good for Mac Jones. Honestly, like I hated on him a lot in the pre-draft process just because it was rumored that he was going third overall. I just thought that that was crazy, especially when you had uh, some of these other talented quarterbacks in this class. Um, so I, I was hating on him a little bit, but I was rooting for him in the preseason. I feel like the same thing happened with with Josh Allen a couple years ago because he was awful at Wyoming. Like he was really, really bad. And people were hyping him up because of his athleticism and, and his arm talent. And I would watch his games and I would just be like, this guy, this guy stinks. But at a certain point, it, it, it got to the point where everyone w- was kind of just hating on him and rooting for him to fail that I found myself just saying, I kind of hope he just, uh, he, he, you know, balls out and, and he just makes these doubters look bad. And I'm kind of in the same position with Mac Jones, although I hope he, he isn't too good because they are in the tight ends uh, conference, but I'm definitely rooting for him. Yeah. I mean, I, in terms of Mac Jones, great. Like, congratulations. Let's, let's see what you can do. But man, like we, we need to just stop talking about cam like a, as a, as a fan base in terms of like the NFL fan base, I, I tweeted this I don't know if y'all know it or if y'all saw it, but uh, since 2016, Cam Newton has as many winning seasons as, or sorry, Andrew Luck has more winning seasons than Cam Newton. And he didn't, and Andrew Luck didn't play in 2017 and he retired after 2018. So it's just like, I mean, what are we doing here? Like he's not winning games. He doesn't look good. He clearly, his shoulders clearly never healed properly. He can't throw very well. By halfway through the season, he starts pull like he's Except, just like you seem not, upset. <laughs> well, I like I, I just like I don't like I don't like dealing with like oh but, like I can't believe he, he got cut. Dead. They, they made the right choice. No, it, well it, it's not. I I don't have a problem with Patriots fans. I have a problem with the thirty one other fan bases with the guys who haven't watched Cam Newton play in two years who are like. You're telling me that Cam Newton wouldn't be a better player than Ryan Tannehill, or you're telling me that he couldn't start, or that we shouldn't pay him ten million dollars to be backup. Oh, it's yeah. like no man yeah. is cooked. Like it's like maybe if you want to use him in a wildcat formation, if he agrees that you know he's fine if his shoulder just gets battered, and you want to use him as a wildcat quarterback twice a game, that's fine. So but I'll, if he I'll, I'll, I'll ask this: Do you think Cam Newton's better than Logan Woodside? I think they're both bad. Like that, they, they both <laughs> yeah. fail. Like yeah. I think they would both lose, and they would lose in different ways. And it, you would just have to deal with like Cam Newton, like chewing something and like holding the towel behind his neck and like looking up at the jumbotron, like he's confused about how he's not winning games. Like this isn't what he's seen yeah. for the last four yeah. years. Like at least with Woodside, you don't have people expecting to win games because of the quarterback. Yeah, it's it's a shame with Cam though because of how talented he was. And like you said, it's just cooked. And I think injuries and wear probably had a lot to do with that, but, but that's always how that guy was going to win. And and I give, you know, Ron Rivera and the Panthers a lot of credit for not being afraid to use him in that way. I mean, I remember in his MVP season, there were a lot of plays where like, it wasn't read option. It was, we're going to snap the ball to Cam Newton and he's going to be the running back. He's going to hand it off to himself and we're going to have 10 blockers instead of nine. And I, and I respect the heck out of them for, for using him that way, but but I think this was probably always going to be how things ended for him, no? 
Yeah, uh, um, it probably came a little earlier than we expected, um, just because quarterbacks usually have a longer lifespan. But the way he would play the game uh, kind of signaled to an earlier, you know, decline in his career just because he was taking so many hits. Uh, And then he had that shoulder injury. I think he had surgery a couple of years ago uh, and he came back for his last season with the Panthers. And he just he could not throw the ball like he couldn't throw the ball past five or 10 yards accurately, uh, it would just end up in the ground. And it was, it was, it was, it was sad to see. And it was tough to see because it just kept trotting him out there. Uh, and his arm looked healthier last year with the Patriots, but there was just no accuracy and he really didn't have a feel for, uh, for throwing really in general. So, I mean, I say, I still think he'll be a decent, backup quarterback in the NFL just because the rest of the backups are, are horrendous as as we know and because of the Titans backup quarterbacks but I I think his days as a starter are definitely over yeah sorry for the awkward pause I didn't know if Will had anything but I guess not well I I, I was trying not to be too negative but since I'm brought back in uh <laughs> I will say that it just teaches you how short the I guess forgiveness runway is for MVPs because like we've been so spoiled for a generation of Peyton Mannings and Tom Brady's and Drew Brees's and even Philip Rivers to a certain extent, but not that much. Like it, you can go from being a good, like upper level player to a mid tier guy quick. And that's what happened. I mean, that's what happened to Cam. It's what happened to Carson Wentz when everybody was, you know, enamored with him. Everybody thought Jimmy Garoppolo was going to be the next big thing for like 12 games. Like it, Lamar Jackson won MVP and people are still. Is this, getting, uh, is this uh, a Josh Allen foreshadowing? Well, I mean, Josh Allen, like, I mean, Josh Allen is the only quarterback, I believe, like uh, maybe in NFL history to increase his completion percentage from his final year in college to his rookie year, to his second year, to his third year or, or whatever that Crazy. pattern is. Like, I mean, he like he was bad coming out in terms of completion percentage, but he's one of the guys who did slowly get better, and that's a big credit to that coaching staff who kind of built an offense around like, okay, this guy can't do it on his own. Let's go get him, Stephon Diggs. Like he can, you know, just let it let him like throw those deep balls, and Diggs is so good that he'll come down with a lot of them, and that'll kind of settle everything down. And it did. It was you know it was a great job from them, but it, it's more of a fact that people get so hung up because people like Tom Brady and Manning and, you know, Aaron Rodgers, like I said, all the, all that group and drew Brees, like when they won MVPs, they were good for the next five or 10 years. Like that, just because you're in the conversation for MVP or cause you win MVP doesn't mean you're guaranteed a great career. It just means you had a great season. And I think people are having a hard time readjusting to that. Yeah. All right. Time for Stop the Nonsense. We always love when you guys who are listening send us Stop the Nonsense ideas. You can always send those to us at our social media. We're at No Nonsense Pod on both Twitter and Facebook. You can also shoot us an email, email no nonsense at gmail.com. I have maybe never been so excited for a Stop the Nonsense. Bishop Sycamore. So I'm, I'm sitting at my desk right now. And two nights ago, I was sitting here Sunday night, and when I was reading the initial story on this from Zach Bennett at footballscoop.com, I was literally crying. I was laughing so hard. 
Like this kind of thing is just right up my alley. And I know some people are going to say, oh, but the kids, the kids were unsafe. No, this is hilarious. This is this is outrageously funny. If you don't know, I don't know how you couldn't because it's been everywhere and, and people have been making jokes and memes about it for two days. But so ESPN airs high school football games every year before college football starts. And this year they decided to air, I believe it was Friday night, which would have been the 27th, 28th. Uh, IMG Academy, the reigning national champions of high school football, a powerhouse, a charter school, against Bishop Sycamore High School, I suppose. Uh, Bishop Sycamore was absolutely curb stomped, 58 to nothing in this game. And then Zach Bennett, the the reporter from footballscoop.com, started to do some football scooping and found out that Bishop Sycamore is basically a scam. Like, their, web, their, their team website is apparently just like a football blog. No one can find any kind of address registered to this institution. They're not a member of the Ohio like High School Football Board. Like if you're in Tennessee, we have the TSSAA. That, they're not a member of Ohio's version of that. It, it basically seems like a football laundering scheme. And so then as more information has come out about this, there's an outlet named Complex Sports that is reporting. Uh, so Dawson Boyd, and, and I want to Google his name because I believe this is actually an aggregation. Dawson Boyd works for, I can't figure it out. Awful announcing. Okay. So Dawson Boyd says there has never been a Bishop Sycamore High School. This is the part that gets me. They had played Two games in three days. This is like those little league baseball teams that have like young men pitch a pitch like two hundred pitches over the course of a weekend. Like this is just not safe. And uh, so they played two games in three days. Their head coach has an active arrest warrant. This per Dawson Boyd. Most of the players are junior college dropouts who are nowhere near high school age. And the the wildest part about all of this is somehow ESPN got duped into airing this team playing like the ultimate juggernaut of high school football and then got crushed 58 to nothing. And you have the commentators on air talking about, well, this isn't what we expected. And I don't, you know, they told us that they had some Div, Div 1 recruits out there. I don't know about like, this is just craziness. And it's hysterical, no? It is hysterical. Uh, it's also kind of sad, <laughs> but well, well, it's just sad from what perspective. So I I read one story of one one of the players who like apparently the coach and like the program had lied to him and his mom, and they like legitimately believed he was going to play, uh, you know, at a high school, a legitimate high school. And they ended up not even having classes and like he wouldn't even go to class and he had no idea it was going to be like that. And he had to like <laughs> lie to his mom, which like that, that, it's that awful. made me feel. It's awful, it's but awful. It's, it's also it, like a movie. It is a movie. It's like, well, you guys have seen Accepted, of course. I was going to say, I, I mean, think this Luke is too, like, too young for Accepted, this but is it, like, is, it is exactly like that. I mean, I can yeah. see, you know. Coming soon to theaters, Bishop Sycamore with head coach Ben Stiller and 
you know, color commentator Will Ferrell. Like this is, it, this is that's what this sounds like. Yeah, it's the it's the fire festival of uh, high school football. It, it's amazing, honestly. Yeah. The the documentary is going to be can't gonna wait. Be legit. Like every what, what, every increasing know. bit of reporting and coverage we're getting on this, I'm just eating it up. What I don't understand is how this got by everyone. Did no one <laughs> did no one double check? Maybe well, like that's what I was listening to Outkick 360, and Jonathan Hutton was like. Okay. Jonathan Hutton was like, it's not like this would have taken intensive research. Just Google them to realize they don't exist. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the the spot checking is terrible. Like, supposedly they outsource all that, and the company that they, like, outsource it to vouched for them or whatever, but that's still insane. That company needs to be disbanded immediately. Yeah, like they should immediately be fired. Like it's like that's that's the price you pay for not doing your job on like the twelve high school games you have to broadcast on ESPN. But I mean, the the most embarrassing thing, and like I and you said you touched on this is that they just got dusted by high schoolers. Like imagine if you're like a twenty two year old or twenty three year old and you've been playing junior college stuff, and like even if you like fail out or whatever, you're Close enough to where I assume they mean like they were playing sports at junior colleges before they washed out because they went to pro to went to that program to play sports and to be like okay I think I really have a chance I just need to practice more and play and to just get dusted by sixteen year olds like I, I mean th- like that's that's I, I don't even know what you do at that point because you just got put on national television like <laughs> I I don't know that's it's hard to see but. It's it's hilarious to watch. All right, yeah. who's next? Matthias, I'm I'm so excited for yours because I know what yours yeah. is. Yeah. So uh, my stop and nonsense is uh, a quote from Scott Frost. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he is the head coach at Nebraska. Uh, he went there a couple years ago after going thirteen and zero with UCF of all. Uh, of all programs they won the peach bowl i think it was against georgia no it was against auburn sorry uh and yeah they just had an amazing season the best one in school history he gets his dream move to nebraska where he's always wanted to coach uh i think he he might be from there yeah he's from lincoln uh and it hasn't been going well he has finished fifth in 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 the west big 10 conference uh for the past three seasons he's gone four and eight five and seven three and five uh, the shine is kind of worn off, and then to start this season, uh, they play against Illinois. They lose. The offense does pretty poorly. I mean, they scored 22 points, uh, but their quarterback had a 50% completion percentage, uh, and they really couldn't move the ball all too well. Uh, and then he's asked about the offense uh, in the Illinois game, and his quote is, about half of our game plan was out the window when they lined up how they did so he just i guess he wasn't expecting to them line up for them to line up in like a four three or something i don't really know what happened but for a head coach of of a premier college football program to come out and say that half of their game plan was wiped away because they weren't sure how the other team was gonna line up is it's unbelievable. I, I've never seen something like this in my entire life. I don't know if you guys have. 
It would be so funny if the next team they played, just to troll them, came out in like full punt block, like you would on Madden. And they're just like, hey, if you don't know how to do what you want to do against this, what if we do this to you? And Scott Frost is just like that meme of the person doing math in their head, like is yeah. just like has no idea what to do. Could you imagine what we would say on here if Mike Vrabel said that at the podium? If like they lost to the Colts and he's like, well, when Frank came out in that setup, you know, we didn't, that kind of our half of our game plan went out the window. Like we would rake him over the coals and then cool him off and then do it again. <laughs> I mean, that's, we would that's be he, setting up a GoFundMe to get him fired, <laughs> is what we would be doing. It was, it's like, uh, that's what he should have, or that's what he was thinking after the Browns game. And he was like, they came out with a wide receiver and we had no idea what to do because they just absolutely cooked that weak defense that they were running. But like, there's been a lot of football over the years. Like we're, <laughs> yeah. we're past the point where you just wake up and there's some kind of like major innovation. Like innovation in football takes years. Like the run pass option didn't just happen one day. You know, the, the team's widely using it anyway. It started as a bit of a gimmick and then people were like, hey, this works. And then there was adaption, right? I, I, I don't know what exactly the opponent of Nebraska did to, to get Scott Frost to say that, but I doubt it was anything terribly revolutionary. I, I didn't I didn't watch the defense close enough. I only kind of watched the game this weekend. I, ha, I have to assume it was 3-3 stack because that's kind of a weird thing to run against. But, I mean, maybe they – because even bare fronts, like, you know, like the, the people see that people use those. Like, it's not like you can – you can just say, okay, like let's pretend that they're going goal line and we'll just run goal line plays at them until we figure out what we want to do. But I, I don't I don't know. It was wild. Uh I'll go ahead and jump into mine. So mine is more personal to the Titans. So I went to the game this weekend and you know, first home game, big crowd, it was awesome. What was not awesome is as far as I can tell, there was one lightning strike and the Titans had preached that their goal this offseason was to open more gates and to have more metal detectors yeah. and more personnel and, and help people funnel into the stadium easier. Honestly, it wasn't that big of a problem before. Like people people want to complain about something, so they complain about it. If you got there like 30 minutes before the game, you were in your seat with 15 minutes to go. Like it like it it was not that big of a deal or you were just going to the most packed gate there was. But anyway, like that, that was their whole, well, go, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, I, you, you finish up. Cause I want to, this is a discussion we need to have. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll I, I'm, I'm with you on this. In a second. Uh, but so, okay. Back to the lightning strike. There was one lightning strike and the stadium's response was to shut down every gate except for, as far as I could tell, one on one side and one on the other, and nothing like straight down, like nothing right where uh, the bridge gets off and where like the normal main entrance is. And so they were like pushing people into this area with one metal detector, as far as I can tell, two or three people scanning tickets, and there was no line. It was just a big pig pen of people that, that like were left to themselves to get through the gates. And that was bad because there were metal detectors outside. That was the big problem is they were trying to get people through metal detectors. That was bad enough. 
what was even worse was the people that were in front of me who it must have been four couples in a row where a couple would go up and say uh, the the security guard would say you can't come in here that bag's too big it's it's got to be smaller than my hand or it's got to be transparent and it'd be some gucci bag and uh, the the woman would be like i i'm going to take this bag in like blah 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 and the guy would be like i can't believe we can't take this bag in every time and oh, yeah, so you were telling me about the, that yeah, and the security guard was like, you can't. And then the people behind were like, you got to go. Like, We need to get to our seats. And then they would get up, and they would go through the same thing. And they'd be like, what do you mean we can't take a bag in? Four in a row, at least. And so th- I've got these people, and I'm just like, just pay attention. Like, You're going to have to put your bag in the lockers. And these dumb people just kept doing the same thing over and over and over. So it was like seeing the incompetence of fans – that and they were all Bears fans that didn't understand what was going on because apparently they don't check them there, and the incompetence of the staff who just had no idea how to deal with one lightning bolt and they were panicking, and they were just hitting right in front of me and it was so infuriating. Yeah, I mean the, the there they've had problems for years and and I take issue with even you you trying to give them a little bit of credit by saying like. You know, it's overblown. Every game, I feel like for the last two years, I look on Twitter and see a picture like that one that went viral on Saturday of a a clogged gate. I mean, I I heard someone joke that when they renovate the stadium in a couple of years, they just need to redo the entire outside of the stadium to just be gates and just have like 50 of them because it's such a problem. And and I've heard that concessions were also an issue. Uh, Zach Bingham, my boss, was at the game as a fan and – he said he went to get something to eat with like seven and a half minutes left in the second quarter and got back into a seat with like half of a minute left. Like that's, that's, that can't happen. And and like you said, Will, they, they preach, well, this is going to get better. And, and look, I'm, I'm not at the games as a fan. I don't know. I don't go in the main gate. I'm not eating at concessions. So I don't know, but I, I can go off of what I see and what I hear and, and none of it is good. Yeah, I mean, I've I've never been late to a start of a third quarter, whether I've been up at the club level or down like in the lower bowl. So I don't know. Like maybe I just don't like. I, I'm not picky about what I eat. I just like I'm like okay. I know that they have like a chicken sandwich here that I like, and I know they have barbecue over here. So I'll just pick one of those, grab it, and go. But it, it, I mean, and maybe it's just the side I sit on or the section I'm I'm in is good. But I've never had problems with I mean, it, so maybe that's why when people complain. But I mean, if people are saying they're having issues, they're having issues. I mean, you're but, also in the club section, and I feel like that well, could be a little different. And that that is true. I've been in the club section for three years, but I was also in the lower bowl section for a decade. So, yeah. like, I, I mean, I I have I I you know I I've, I've been you know in the rowdier parts where it gets busy and you get all these you know crowded areas and stuff, and that I mean. I guess I guess it just depends on who's in front of you and how they know, like if they know what they're getting and all that. But I don't know. I like I said, I, I'm like a hot dog sandwich, like that kind of thing. Jump back in your seat, kind of guy. I I don't sit and dawdle or try to get drinks or anything like that. So it's never bothered me. But people do seem to be having a, like a major problem with it. So I I don't know. All I know is that if there's a one percent chance of a lightning strike you better go ahead and get there two hours early and you better be prepared to wait because so far the only plan I've seen them use was a massive failure. 
Well, I do. I do have a story. One time, I had gone to remember the Blaine Gabbert game against the Colts. Yes, was it the Colts? How could yeah, I forget? The Colts. Yeah, week seventeen. Yeah, so I bought tickets on like Ticketmaster Exchange, uh, and I show up to my seats, and there's people in my seats, and it turns out it was the season ticket holders, but they had sold me the tickets, so they had gotten in because you know the season ticket holders apparently only show like. Is it a tag or something or something like that? I've thought uh, about so that weird. before because I so when you're when you're a Titan season ticket member, uh, which I was years and years ago, you what what happens is in the old days before it was all digital, you would be sent in the mail hard copy tickets, but like if you lost them or something, it was very easy to print one off of the website. And so if you sold a ticket on StubHub or NFL Ticket Exchange or whatever, you would download that PDF, send that to StubHub, who would then send it to the person. And I remember thinking, wouldn't it work where I send you the PDF for 60, 70 bucks, and then I just still go in with my paper ticket? Yeah. I So <laughs> I don't know what happened, to be honest, but... The season ticket holders got in with the tickets that technically they had sold me, but I also got in because I had printed out the tickets that I bought from them, uh, and we were just both in the stadium, and we couldn't sit at those seats, and then, so we had to go to, like, the ticket uh, the ticket booth. They had no idea what to do. They got us into some Shocker. different seats, but they were kind of worse seats, and it was kind of kind of BS, and also, like, we had we we wasted like the entire first quarter trying to figure out this entire thing. So I don't even know what happened in the first quarter. It was it, it was a disaster. But um, I'm sure they've they've gotten those types of things uh, worked out by now. I hope. All right. Well, that is going to do it for us this week, guys. Week from today, we will be back here previewing a regular season Titans game. We're not talking about. Who's making the roster? We're not comparing this roster bubble guy to that scrub and saying, well, who are they going to go get on waivers? We're going to be talking about who's covering Julio Jones. We're going to be talking about, you know, where are they going to be playing Rashawn Evans this week? We're going to be talking about the big boys and an actual game with strategy and window dressing. I'm so excited. Yeah, I mean, it'll be awesome. Like, I, I love preseason. I love the debate. I love the chaos. But it, it will be nice now that we know, okay, this guy's good, this guy's not. And it'll be nice to be talking about, you know, the 11 starters on offense for once. Agreed. All right, we'll be back next week. Until then, for Will and Matias, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.